All right, well, good morning. Welcome once again to Christian Fellowship. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Um, I'd like to thank again, thank you to uh, the Bailey family and, and MJ and everybody that helped out with breakfast this morning. It was so good. Food was so good. I know we're all pretty full, um, and I've already had a pretty long morning, and so I promise we will keep this uh, relatively short. I mean, relatively, not super short, but uh, you guys know. I do like to talk. Um, <laughs> uh, while we're doing uh, thank yous, real quick, in the back there, uh, at the back table, we have a new computer running uh, the PowerPoint slides and everything. And uh, I know the AV team is really excited. And if uh, the audiovisual team is something you're interested in, uh, in, making slides happen and the sound sound good, if that's something that you're interested in, uh, we'd be happy to have you join that team. Go ahead and fill that out on your Connect card, just circle uh, AV team and somebody will reach out to you to get you uh, connected with that. But what I was saying was we have a new computer back there and uh, what's really awesome is um, we needed that new computer and we bought it. I know that if you're not uh, part of this church, this isn't a home, that seems like a simple thing. Uh, but for us, uh, in the past, it hasn't been a simple thing. But, uh, and this is where the thank you comes in, we are getting to a place financially where um, we are uh, a lot healthier than we've been, even in the last year that I've been here. We're a lot healthier, uh, and that is due to the generosity and the faithful giving of our members uh, and, and those who call CF home. So thank you. If you have ever given a dime to this church, uh, thank you for your generosity. The fact that we could be at a position where um, it wasn't a conversation of we need a new computer, but we also need to pay the electric bill and having to choose, but rather we're at a place where we needed a new computer and we were able to buy it. Um, the fact that we're there is only because of the faithful generosity of this church. So thank you so much. It means the world to us. Uh, it means the world to me that you uh, would be willing to give. Um, so I thank you. Um, please continue to give, continue to give sacrificially, continue to give joyfully. Um, but thank you very much for everyone who has ever given even just a cent to this church. Um, uh, so we're going to be in Philippians 2 this morning, continuing in uh, our Where's the Joy series. Um, and so last week we talked about work out your salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, um, which Paul basically is saying, live out your salvation. Live out your salvation knowing that God is at work in you and through you. It's not just about you and what you have the ability to do on your own, but rather what God can and will do through you. So today, um, we're going to see a little bit more practical instru instruction as to what that actually means for believers. So um, basically, in verses 12 and 13 that we looked at last week were the, the prescription on what to do as the people of God, how to, how to be united. Um, this passage we're going to look at this morning is more of the how-to guide on what that actually looks like. So uh, that's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to uh, pray, and then we are going to uh, jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for today, God. We come to you with great joy. Um, Lord, we thank you for the unity uh, of this church. We thank you for giving us the, a place like this where we can gather together to celebrate you, to sing your praises. We can come together on a Sunday morning and fellowship and, and laugh and, and have fun and have breakfast and enjoy uh, the relationships you have given us. And then we can come here and we can sing and we can pray and we can spend time with you. Lord, we know that you want to speak this morning. We know that you have something to teach us this morning. 
Uh, so Lord, we pray that you keep us um, awake and attentive and focused on you. Keep our hearts and minds focused on you this morning. Let no distractions come in. Um, Father, and as I preach, um, Lord, I pray that you uh, you speak through me, God. I pray that you, uh, it is, is your words and not mine, Lord. So um, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts glorify you this morning. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick it up in Philippians 2, um, verse 14. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that. That is your uh, that is a gift from us to you. So Philippians 2, starting in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's stop right there. So Paul says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Fun fact there, the word all um, there in the Greek means all. Everything that you do, the way you live your life, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Paul just got done reminding the church in Philippi that God is at work in them to will and to work. And so if you're going to be this united, selfless community, it's not enough to just go through the process. It's not enough to just do the actions. But what is your heart in the process? As you live, as you interact with one another, with others, as you serve in the church, what's your motivation and what's your attitude when you do it? Is putting others before yourself, is serving others, is that a burden? Is this place, is, is coming and serving on a regular basis at church, is it an annoyance or a frustration? Paul says, do all things without grumbling and questioning. Now, when we say questioning, it's not, um, you know, I don't understand and I have a question. And it's not that Paul is saying, don't question anything, don't question the leadership, follow blindly everything you are told. That's not at all what he's saying here. What he's saying in the word questioning, it also can be translated complaining. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. It's not questioning for the sake of knowledge, but rather to start a fight. Rather, because I want to I try and cause some division. That's the kind of questioning we're talking about here. It's not questioning for knowledge's sake. And grumbling, well, I think we all know what grumbling is, don't we? Grumbling is that under-your-breath back talk. Those frustrated angry replies that you either mutter to yourself or you shout in your own head. <laughs> you see, this word grumbling is actually used pretty frequently in the Old Testament, especially in regards to the Israelites when they were being led out of slavery and to the promised land. We just got done. We just read this in our hashtag two-year journey. We're reading the Bible together as a, as a community 
uh, over the course of two years. If you haven't done so, you can jump in with us. Um, the reading logs are, uh, the, the reading schedule is, there's some on the back table. They were also on the front cover of your reflections and bulletins this morning. Um, join, join with us. It's, it's good. So we just got done reading this where God goes into Egypt. God sees God's, his people. He sees the Israelites in Egypt in slavery and he sends Moses in to there. And, and you guys have all heard this story with the 10 plagues and let my people go. And God brings his people out of slavery after hundreds and hundreds of years. He brings them out of slavery and he's leading to them to the promised land, leading them to this place that he has set aside for them. And the whole time they are complaining and grumbling. The whole time they say things like, why did God get us out of Egypt just to have us die in the wilderness? Why would God have us die out here? You know, at least in Egypt, we had beds, we had houses, we had food. Why don't we just go back to being slaves? God gets his people out of slavery in Egypt, and as they travel, all they do is grumble and complain. They grumble against Moses and against God. They question God's provision and his motives and his character. And here, Paul uses this word specifically because he's saying, look, don't be like them. Don't be like the Old Testament Israelites in regards to each other and in regards to God. Because you see this grumbling and complaining, it comes out in church even. We say things like, well, that person makes small group all about them. This person never serves and is always late to everything. They just take, take, take. That person shouldn't be in the role that they're in. Can you believe what they posted on Facebook? Can you believe they're endorsing that candidate? You see, grumbling and questioning amongst God's people is like being on the battlefield, about to go into war, and right before you charge, you turn and stab your fellow soldier. We have a real, actual enemy in Satan, and yet we live in this fallen world. Paul says it's a crooked and twisted world, a crooked and twisted generation. We have this actual enemy. We live in this broken world, and yet we find ourselves fighting within the church, fighting with other Christians, just fighting all the time. Christians need to be known not just for what we are against, but what we are for. Now, I will say that, yes, when we see injustice happening, when we see abuses of power, when we see racial injustice, when we see murder, when we see all of the hate and the pain in the world, yes, the church, Christians need to stand up. We need to say this isn't okay and we need to take a stand. I totally agree with that. But when all we are doing all the time is fighting and attacking and saying we're against this and we're against that, how in the world are we going to ever have the opportunity to tell people what we are for? How in the world are we ever going to be able to step into the world and say, we are for grace, we are for forgiveness, we are for the gospel, when all we are doing is starting fights with each other and starting fights with the world? Paul tells the church, do all things without grumbling or questioning, complaining, which means work your job, be a husband, be a wife. Be a son, be a daughter, a dad, a mom, 
a co-worker, a student, a friend, a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, an athlete, a gamer, a musician, an artist, a writer, whatever it is that you do in the worlds that you, in the circles you travel in, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Think about what it would look like, what the world would look like if we actually did this. Think about how boring Facebook would be. If we removed all the grumbling and questioning and complaining, all that would be left are cat videos and selfies. <laughs> now, I know this seems hard. And to be honest, it is. Dealing with people, people interacting, people in community, it, it makes things messy. But remember what Paul said in verse 13, it is God who is at work in you. As you work out your salvation, as you live into this life God has called you to, Paul says, do it without grumbling and questioning. But why? We always need a why, don't we? Well, Paul gave us a why in verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That you may be blameless and innocent. Now, Paul is not saying you will be perfect. Right? He's not saying, as long as you don't grumble and question, you will be perfect. We all know that doesn't make any kind of sense, so that's clearly not what he's saying by blameless and innocent. Blameless means above reproach, to avoid the appearance of evil, to not give anyone a reason to judge or see fault in the message or life that you are living. We talked about this last week. Our collective goal as Christians is to bring glory to God. We each individually work toward that goal. And when we fight, when we argue, when we give people a reason to doubt or disregard the church, we are fighting against ourselves. And on top of that, who wants to be around that person? Right? Everyone, you can probably think off the top of your head right now about that kind of person who's constantly grumbling, constantly complaining. Nobody likes to be around that person. I was actually just watching a Cubs game last night and was with somebody, a fellow Cubs fan, um, and we, it was going, into the, going into the ninth inning. The Cubs were up by three runs, and we had our, the best closer, probably the best closer in the game, coming up to finish off the game. And before the inning started, this person was just constantly complaining, complaining that we didn't score enough, complaining that we weren't playing well enough. We are winning and about to send the best possible situation out on the field. And it was just grumbling and complaining. I, who wants to be around that all the time? Paul says, be blameless and innocent. Innocent can also be translated harmless. Be the kind of person who, even if they wanted to do harm, couldn't. Be like, like a puppy dog. A puppy dog who gets all angry and riled up, but he's got those tiny little arms and those little teeth, and he can't actually do any kind of anything to hurt you, but he you know, wants to. He's just not made to. That's what harmless means. Be innocent. Live in such a way without grumbling and complaining, without fighting and attacking, so that when the outside world looks at you, they have nothing to accuse you of. They have no reason to disregard the message of the gospel. 
The Philippians lived at a time when there was great sin and evil and injustice and hate running rampant in the land. It was a crooked and twisted generation. Things haven't really changed, have they? There's still evil and corruption in this world. 2,000 some odd years later, the message Paul sent to the Philippians still rings true for us in 2016 in Chicago because we still live in a broken, fallen world. And Paul says here that we are called to shine as lights amongst that crooked and twisted generation. Now, look at the way Paul says it. He says, whom you shine as lights in the world. It's not you should shine as lights in the world or you ought to shine as lights in the world. Hey, if you get a minute, try and shine as a light in the world. He says you shine. It's just a matter of how bright. Our church, our church relationships should look different. And when I mean church, I mean big C universal Christian, our relationships with other Christians should look different. We should look different because we are called to be lights in the darkness. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how bright is your light? What kind of light are you? Are you one of those little keychain lights? It's run by a watch battery. It kind of gives a little bit of light off. Are you one of those big mag lights that the, the police and the military carry around? Are you a stadium light, kind of like the Cubs played under? By the way, we are nine games away from winning the World Series. Just putting that out there. But not only what kind of light are you, what do you do with your light? Is it old and flickering and just kind of, yeah, it's there, but I don't really pay attention to it? Or when you're around certain people, when you're in certain situations, when you're around certain family members, certain friends, that group of guys, that group of girls, you try and put a shade over your light, you try and cover it, you try and dim your light all the way as low as possible because heaven forbid they know you're a Christian or that you don't want to tell that joke, you don't want to laugh at that joke, you don't want to do those things, so I'm just going to turn the light down because I don't want them to see just how bright my light actually is. Christians, you are called to be lights in the darkness. It's what you signed up for. It's part of the gig. And that starts with our relationships with other Christians. Paul says no grumbling, no complaining. And then that even extends. Take that outside your relationships with Christians. extends to our non-Christian relationships, our non-Christian friends. That we are called to live in such a way, to carry ourselves in such a way that when people look at us, that light shines through us. The light of the hope of the gospel. The new life that is there. We are called to shine that light to other people so that those around us, as they stumble in the darkness, hopefully, eventually, will get tired of banging their knees on coffee tables and running into walls and instead come and say, I want to know what that light that you have is about. I'm tired of the darkness. And I know this seems like a giant task. Be a light in the world. I know that seems like a giant task, and it is. But remember, God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You are not alone in this. 
And not only that, but you have the tools at your disposal. So how do you shine your light brightly? Paul gives us an idea in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. It's kind of an older way of saying holding out the word of life, presenting the word of life. How do you shine your light brightly? You share the gospel. You point people to a God who, instead of condemning us to a life of eternal torment because of our sin, offers us the free gift of life through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that to anyone who believes they are a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Jesus paid the penalty for their sins, that person is given a new life, a new identity, a new hope. The only way we can truly be lights in the world is if we are willing to share the gospel, to point others to Jesus and to that same grace that we have already experienced. Now, I know this seems hard and it seems like, I don't know, many of you might be thinking this morning, I don't know what to say. I don't know the words to use. What if I don't have all the answers to all the questions? Here's what you do. You tell people your story. You tell people, this is what my life was like before I met Jesus. Before I knew that I needed a Savior. Before I knew that there was a new life to be had. This is what it was like. And then I met Jesus. And then I I found out that God loves the world so much, loves me so much, that he sent his son to die, pay the penalty for my sins in my place, so that I could have a new identity. And then you tell people, what's your life been like since? What does that new identity look like? Tell people that they no longer have to be identified by the sins that they have committed or the sins that have been committed against them, but rather they can be seen not as rebels and sinners, but as sons and daughters of God. Just tell people your story. Be willing to share, this is what God has done in my life. And if they ask questions and you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. That's a good way to say, hey, let's try and find the answer together. Let's study together. And if they give a lot of questions that you really are just overwhelmed with, point them my way. I'm happy to answer those questions. And I'll tell you this, I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to study and I'm willing to help try and find those answers. Just share your story. Just share your life with people. Just tell people about what God has done. Don't worry about having all the right answers. Don't worry about trying to have all of the knowledge. Look, God is doing a work in this city. God is doing a work redeeming the world to himself, fixing what is broken. He is not going to let you get in the way of that. He is not going to let you mess that up. He is inviting you to be part of it, knowing full well that you don't have all the answers, knowing full well that you haven't studied as much as some other people. God is inviting you to be part of something. Share your story. Paul tells the Philippians, hold fast, hold strong, present the light of the gospel to others. Do it so that Paul would be proud that his ministry was not in vain. See, Paul was primarily reaching the Gentiles, anyone who is not Jewish, it's called a Gentile. And those people that he was ministering to had little to no background in even what worship would look like. 
Most of those people either had no idea about anything that had to do with God or gods. And the ones that did, the ones that uh, did have any kind of worship background, worshipped a false idol. And usually it was either highly sexualized or involved like self-mutilation and those kind of things. It was a really messed up way of worship. And so they, Paul's ministry was to go into people groups like that, tell them about Jesus, share the gospel with them, and try and incorporate them into the church as and, and help them to understand that there's a God who loves them, the God of grace, the God who created all things, and to start to try and help teach them this is what living a Christian life looks like. It was a hard and dangerous ministry. Some probably thought Paul was a little crazy for doing it, but it's what God called him to do, even though it was hard and dangerous. We're going to start reading uh, the book of Acts in our two-year journey. We're actually going to start the book of Acts soon. And in it, you're going to see Paul and most of his ministry was in and out of jail, getting chased from town to town. People tried to kill him. He was shipwrecked. He was snake bitten. He was beaten up over and over again because his calling was to present the gospel. Paul was called to be faithful to what God had called him to do, to the good works God had laid out ahead of time for him. And here he says to this, this church in Philippi that their faithful response to the gospel proves that his ministry had not been futile. You see, Paul is more concerned about them and their faithfulness to the gospel than his own reward or his own end. He says on that day he would be proud because he knows he had been part of bringing the message to those who had never known it before. Proud that what he helped establish in Philippi was a deep dedication and love for God, that he was faithful to the good works that God prepared before him. He would be proud and even full of joy, even if that meant dying. Look at verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out in vain and poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The, the drink offering you would pour, um, the, the priest would take some wine and, and pour it out on top of the offering as they gave a, a burnt offering. Now, oftentimes, when you and I think about pouring something out, right, we, we pour out what's left over. We pour out the, the coffee that is cold, and we pour out the, the pop that has gone flat, and it's a waste, right? We think, you pour it out, and, it, and that's a waste. But here, pouring out as a drink offering, that's not a waste. Paul's not saying, my life has been wasted, but the total opposite. His life had purpose. His life had Great purpose, and there was something to rejoice about and be glad about. Even if it meant dying, even if it meant being poured out as a drink offering, he's not only okay with it, but he is glad and rejoices. Paul will face death with gladness and joy if he does so, knowing that the church is shining brightly for God. And he says there in 18, he says, they in turn should rejoice and be glad because even if his imprisonment or future imprisonment leads to his death, it will be to the glory of God. You see, Paul isn't concerned with his current status, his current position, his future, or even his possible death. He is concerned for Christians. He is focused on them shining as brightly as possible 
He is focused on the saving, life-giving truth of the gospel above anything and everything else. His focus, we said a couple weeks ago, his tunnel vision, everything he did was to proclaim the gospel, to see more and more people know that there is a God who made them, knows them, and loves them, loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. Paul is willing to die. He is willing to be a martyr if it means that more people will know the gospel, if more people will hear the good news that there is a new life, a new identity, a new eternity wrapped up in the gospel of grace, and there is life to be had at the cross of Christ. Paul is focused on this truth of the gospel above anything and everything. Are we? Do we have that same kind of focus? You are a light in this world. So shine. Shine brightly. Let's pray.